Hi there and welcome to Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the message. I have the privilege of sharing with you today under this uh, theme of come as you are. Come as you are. And I wonder if you can help me this morning. Would you, would you do me a favor and just turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye and say to them, God loves you just the way you are. Okay, that's all you needed to say. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you look at that same person and look them in the eye and say the following to them, but God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. <laughs> yeah, in the previous service, somebody turned to his wife and said, God loves me too much to leave you the way you are. <laughs> you have just communicated the gospel. You have just communicated the gospel in a nutshell. This is the essence of the gospel. God loves you just the way you are. There's nothing in your life, there's nothing in your past, there's nothing in terms of who you think you represent that can intimidate the love of God for you. Nothing can affect the way God has made up His mind about you. You see, Jesus Christ is God's revelation of God's mind made up about us. He sent His Son. He became flesh. He came and dwelt amongst us to manifest to us that God did not come to apologize for His design. God did not come to say, I made a mistake by making man. Actually, God becoming flesh vindicated our design. God showed that He is connected to His creation. And that He wants us to discover what it looks like when we receive His fullness in our lives and how it transforms our lives. Um, it's, it's one of the biggest discoveries you can make and you alluded to that this, this morning. When we discover that, that God is not mad at us, He's mad about us. God took the initiative for redemption. It's not us still trying to convince God to somehow, you know, if I, if I come before Him in, in enough kind of uh, a, a sense of, of, please, Lord, would you, would you come and save me? He has made up His mind that He wants to save you. He took the initiative. There's nothing in your past that could intimidate God's initiative for you. And Paul wants us to understand this when he, when he writes in, in uh, uh, Romans 5. Uh, it's interesting there in verse 6, uh, Paul says, he says, listen, you have to understand that while you were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
He says, when you were weak, when you could not offer anything to God, when, when you had nothing to bring to God, God took the initiative and said, I'm going to change your destiny. And then Paul realizes, but maybe they're not getting it yet. And then he goes to verse 8, two verses later, and he says the following. He says, but God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says this, not just when you were weak, but when you were living outside of your design, when you were living outside of God's intention for your life. God took the initiative and Christ died for that. And then he says, you know, maybe you still don't get it. And then two verses later in verse 10, he says the following. He says, for while we were enemies, God reconciled us through the death of His Son. It's as if there's this progressive reference of Paul trying to get us to understand, saying, hey, it's not just when you were weak and you couldn't offer anything. It was when you were a sinner and you were, you were living outside of God's design. He says, but not just that. It was when you were in your arrogance and in your posture positioning yourself against God. God was not intimidated with that. God said, I will bless you, I will love you, I will bring redemption to your life. That's the amazing thing. When you discover this, you can respond by just coming as you are. Because God's not intimidated with that particular reference. Come as you are. But here's the principle. Come just as you are. But don't stay as you are. God says, come because I want to do something in your life so that your life can be transformed and changed and aligned to my intention and my purpose and my, my will for your life. And this is the essence of, of what we read in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus calls the disciples. Listen to what it says. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Now, in some translations it says, Come follow me and I will make you. It's these two components. Us responding to the initiative of God. And as we respond to the initiative of God... God says, now I'm going to make you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to reposition you in your life. And this is what Simon experienced. Simon was now called Peter. Because there was a day where Jesus was engaging his disciples. And he made this, this uh, he gave them a question. He said, um, who do the people 
say that I am? And so the disciples respond and say, well, some say you might be Elijah. You know, some say you might be John the Baptist and some say you are a prophet. And then Jesus asks them the question. He says, but you, who do you say I am? That's the key question. And suddenly I see the disciples all ducking, not wanting to make eye contact because it was a very difficult question. What are they going to answer? What is the answer wrong? And so they're kind of looking down and wondering what will we answer? And, 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 and then I see the illumination in Peter's face as he comes to the revelation. And he looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You are Peter. Jesus changes his name in that moment. Why? Because Jesus knew the moment you discover who Jesus really is, it'll have such an effect on your life, it will transform your own identity who you are. And Jesus says to him, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he says, you've just received a revelation that is so powerful that it's going to start changing your life. And this was the principle where Jesus was calling his disciples. Come, follow me, and I will make you. I will transform you. I will reposition your life. And it's in this making us that we, that we recognize when, when we say Jesus is making us, what does he do? Well, it starts off by him making us new. New in our lives. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes and he says, if any person be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. A new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen to the of that concept. Something happens to you when you receive Christ into your life. The Bible says you, you become new, the new creation. You are born from above. You become alive in your spirit. The problem, however, is many people would say, you know, I now have Jesus in my heart, but I still have grandpa in my bones. I, you know, I'm, I'm still living according to the reference that I've always had in my life. You know, I, I, one of my mentors always used to say to me, um, Pierre de la Rue, he, he used to teach me and say, Alan, you've got to understand what happens to you in the new birth. Because the problem is with many people is that they... 
They believe that they are what their bloodline and lineage determined. Opa was a knoll, pa's a knoll, and actually claimed knoll. Now, I don't know how to translate that for the English people, but it just means, you know, sometimes we think, you know, that's the way we are. You know, us Johnsons are difficult people. If you knew my grandfather, you know, he's not a guy that took any nonsense, and my dad was the same, and, and now I'm also posturing that way. No, that's the problem. You've not made a discovery of the impact of the new creation in your life. The Bible says if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old Johnson nonsense has passed away. It's a new translation, okay? <laughs> Behold, all things become new. This is the glory of the good news of the gospel is you don't have to be a slave of your lineage in Adam. You have been translated from darkness into light. Something has happened in your life and you can now start living in the newness of life. That's the discovery we make when we discover the gospel. I will make you. I will make you new. I will make you part of the family. You become part of the integrated reference where you now have the privilege of calling God your father. Where you know that all distance has been cancelled and God is no longer far. And you now live as a union with God. God is in me and I am in Him. And His smile is upon my life and His favour and grace is upon my life. And I will now live from this, this, this new reference of understanding that I am safe and secure. The creator of the universe has become my dad. What a privilege. These are the things Jesus wanted us to understand. I'm going to make you. But it's not, just, it's not just us becoming new and us becoming part of. It's also Jesus saying, I am going to equip you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to send you. And He speaks to these disciples and He's using fisherman language here. He says, listen, you guys are used to catching fish. I'm going to transform you in such a way that you will become fishers of men. Now, it's interesting when Jesus brings His disciples together, He says to them, follow me. By, by implication, come and see how I do this. Because I'm going to teach you certain things because I want you to understand that you are going to represent this new life to the context of your world. And so Jesus starts to equip these disciples by taking them outside of their comfort zone. Jesus decides that he has to go to Samaria. 
Now, what normally happened is the Jews would not go through Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. They didn't like the Samaritans and they always walked around Samaria. They didn't want to have interaction with the Samaritans. But the Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. The disciples are confused. Why would we do that? Jesus says, oh, I'm going to introduce you to someone. It's a Samaritan woman. I see the disciples. Lord, a woman. A Samaritan woman. That's double challenge. We don't speak to the Samaritans and a rabbi shouldn't be speaking to a woman in public in those days. And then it's just, Oh, and it's not just any woman. It's actually a woman that's disregarded by society. She's marginalized. She has a little bit of a reputation. And, 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 and it's going to be uncomfortable. But I want you to journey with me because I'm going to show you how we will engage with grace and truth. That's how Jesus worked. He always led with grace. He walked towards the brokenness. He walked towards the damage. He walked towards that which society or the religious establishment at least were not comfortable with. And as he engaged that, he introduced truth. He's busy equipping his disciples. Our problem sometimes is as the church, we would much rather lead with truth. And we take truth to the community and if you accept my truth, then we will show you grace. The order of Christ was always the other way around. He's teaching them. He's showing them how to engage. The, 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 this drove the religious establishment crazy. We see this in Luke chapter 15 when when Jesus is sitting there with tax collectors and sinners that are drawing near to him to hear him, what happens? The Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Can you just see the tension there? The religious establishment saying, why would he want to do this? He's hanging out with sinners. As a matter of fact, some translations speak about very bad sinners. Seems like you get sinners and then you get very bad sinners. Like in gold-plated sinners. Jesus says, I'm going for those guys. Because I want them to discover something. I want, to see, want them to see that they are included in this reference. Because as they discover that, it will transform their lives. It will change their lives. It will align them to my purposes. They will start to discover what my intention is for their lives. And Jesus is training the disciples to recognize this is what I am making you to be. You know, one of the most amazing moments of equipping and training that the disciples experienced was just after they had fed 5,000 people with the bread and the fish. Jesus calls them and he says, go over to the other side. Now they didn't want to go to the other side. 
As a matter of fact, a good Jew did not go to the other side because the other side was where the seven nations of Canaan had settled. These were the heathen people. These were the unclean people. These were the pig-eating people. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, Jews, pigs, distance. All right. So they never went in that direction. But here Jesus says, go over to the other side. Well, it wasn't the first time Jesus said, go over to the other side. If you read the Bible, you'll see in Mark chapter 4, early on, Jesus calls his disciples together and he says, let's go over to the other side. The disciples are confused. Why would we want to do that? Amazing things are happening here on the Israel side, here where the 12 tribes are. Why would we want to go over to the other side? But you know, Jesus said that, so they get into the boat, and then Mark heightens the tension of the story because he says, and Jesus goes and sleeps. Now I can just see these disciples, they're in the boat. Can you hear the conversation? Guys, why are we going to the other side? This is stupid. Bad things can happen to us because remember, they anticipated, they were superstitious about that. They had an omen. They thought that bad things can happen to us if we go over to the other side. Now they're rowing and they, I can hear that conversation and they really are influencing each other now in terms of we are expecting the worst. And then we see a storm comes up, but suddenly this storm is different to every other storm they've ever encountered. Why? Because they're going over to the other side. Bad things are going to happen to them. That's why when they awaken Jesus, go read the story, they accuse him. And they say to him, do you not care that we perish? What they're really saying to Jesus is, why are you taking us to the other side? Well, what does Jesus do? He gets up, quietens the storm. They look at each other. They can't believe this. They say, what manner of man is this that he could speak to the wind and the waves? But anyway, they now get to the other side. When they get to the other side, there's nobody there to meet them. There's nobody excited to see them. Remember, those people and the Jews did not have interaction with each other. So there's no welcoming committee. There's nobody excited. Hey, Jesus and, you know, the disciples have come to visit. They're, they're there. Nobody, nobody else there except one guy, mad guy, full of demons, running around between the graves. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, that's our guy. I can just see these disciples. <laughs> this is a trip from hell. Why would we want to do this? Now they have to get hold of the guy. We don't know how exactly they got hold of the guy, but they did. And then they drive out the demons. For those of you that know the story, the demons go into a herd of pigs, the pigs run over the cliff. There's this mass suicide of pigs. And what happens? It affects the economy. Now, if you affect the economy, you get the attention of the people. So the whole region starts coming down, angry, upset. What has just happened here? And they, they come to Jesus and the disciples and they say, get out of our region. We don't want you here. They chase them away. The disciples are excited. They're back in the boat. They're ready to go back to Israel. But there's one guy that has just been set free. 
He's standing there and he looks at Jesus and he says, can I go with? And Jesus says, no. And I always felt so sorry for him. I thought, Jesus, he just wants to join the team. But Jesus was so smart. Jesus knew he had just found the key to a whole unclean region. So Jesus says to this guy, this is what you do. You go to every town, you go to every village, you go all over the place, go and tell your story. This was very different. If you've read the Bible, you will know to how Jesus spoke to people after they were healed or set free or delivered on the Israel side. Jesus would say to them, don't go into the towns. Don't go into the cities. Don't spread this news yet. My time has not yet come because he knew the Jews would consider this from the scriptures that they knew that the Messiah was on his way. And Jesus is saying, don't say this here. But on that side, he said, go tell the story story, the key. Well, the disciples are in the boat, Jesus gets in, they go back to the Israel side, and now massive miracles are happening on the Israel side. The disciples are so excited. They've just seen 5,000 people come together, and the people are hungry, and Jesus says, go break them up into groups of 50s and 100s, which they then do, and then Jesus breaks the bread, gives it to the disciples, and they start dishing out the bread to the people, and they feed 5,000 people. They are, they are ecstatic. They are now high-fiving one another. A miracle has just happened through our hands. And as they are still celebrating this, Jesus calls them together and says, guys, guys, come, come here. Go over to the other side. I, I can just see what happens to those disciples. Why? Why would, why would stuff's happening here? Why would we now want to go over to the other side? And so they say to Jesus, I'm sure, Jesus, do you remember? Those people don't like us. They hate us. They chased us away. They're not going to be impressed if we show up there again. Jesus says, yes, and by the way, this time I'm not going with. What is Jesus doing? He's equipping them to understand that at a time where the they will not see him physically in the boat. They can know, they can engage the other side. And now they, they get into the boat. I can just hear that conversation again. We should not be doing this. This is a challenge. But the Bible says Jesus was watching them all the time. He went up on the hill. His eye was on them all the time. But I see them as they are rowing. Guys, this can become a problem. And if there's a problem, he's not in the boat. It's going to be a challenge. And as they are rowing, it's getting dark and it's midnight. And Jesus decides he's going to go over to the other side, but he's going to take the shortcut. He's going to walk on the water. I mean, you've got to have sympathy with the disciples. These guys are anxious, expecting the worst. The next thing, something is walking on the water. They immediately say, well, it's a ghost. Jesus says, no, guys, no ghost, just me taking a walk. <laughs> and uh, he wanted to pass them, the Bible says. But Peter, of course, spoils the program, gets out of the boat. Jesus has to save him. They get back in the boat. Now they get to the other side. Now listen to this. As they get to the other side, the rumor 
just starts spreading. The one that set the demoniac free is back. And people start bringing those that need deliverance and healing. And Jesus starts setting them free. And as that happens, the Bible says, 4,000 people gather. And then they get hungry. And Jesus says to the disciples, we're going to feed them. And they start feeding the people. And when they're done feeding the people, they pick up seven baskets full of what is left over. Now, after all of that is done, they get back in the boat. They're now going back to the Israel side. And Jesus makes one of those big statements that the disciples never really understood, but they always knew it had deep meaning. And Jesus makes this statement and says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is Jesus saying? Watch out for the religious spirit. Because it will keep you from being on mission. It will keep you from engaging the brokenness of our world and our community. And Jesus says, pass up. <laughs> he spoke Afrikaans to the disciples. Pass up, verseer van die fariseers. Right? Beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. And now, the disciples huddle and they, they, they're trying to figure out what, is, what does this mean? And they're having the conversation. Go read it. Jesus is listening to them, the Bible says. He hears them having this conversation and then they come to a conclusion. There's no logic in this conclusion, but they come to this conclusion. Aha! We forgot the bread. And Jesus says, guys, guys, come here. Come here. He says, let me ask you a question. He says, when we were on the Israel side, this is where the 12 tribes of Israel are. How many baskets did we pick up? And they say, 12. He says, right. He says, and then we went to the other side. There were the seven nations of Canaan. How many baskets did we pick up? They say, seven. He says, you're right. And you don't understand? And they didn't. And neither did I. Because I read that many times. Until one day somebody broke it open for me, saying, hey, what Jesus was really saying to the disciples, when we were breaking the bread and feeding the people on the Israel side, it, it was more than just us feeding hungry people. It was a prophetic reference to me being the bread of life. And there's more than enough of me to feed all of Israel, all of my people, all of the church. There's enough for us to be fed in Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, but I'm teaching you that I did not just come for the church. I came also for the other side. And there's more than enough of me to feed all of the other side. Actually, Jesus was saying this side, that side, it's all my side. It's all my side. He wanted the disciples to understand 
There will be times where we gather and come together as the church and we are fed and we experience Christ as the living bread in our lives. But we have to understand that part of our training, part of our making, part of what He's doing with us is to equip us, to send us so that we can be part of, so that we can go and break bread to the other side. Let me end by just just giving you this reference. As, as Jesus was about to feed these people, He takes the bread and the fish, and we all know that it was a few loaves and a little bit of fish, and He blesses it. And then He breaks it. But when Jesus breaks the, the fish and the bread, He doesn't break it and build a whole reserve, you know, break it all and put a whole reserve of bread and fish so that the disciples can feel really secure. Wow, you know, at least now reserve matches need. We have enough, it's going to work, we're going to be able to feed these people. He doesn't do that. He breaks the bread. He breaks the fish and He puts a piece in every disciple's hand. Now I see those disciples standing there with a little piece of fish and a little piece of bread. And then Jesus looks at them and says, guys, go feed the people. And I see that disciple. Look at the bread. Look at the people. Look at Jesus. Look at the bread. Can you feel the tension of that moment? Here's what I want to say to you. That's the tension we live in. That's the tension we live in because we feel, how can I? I don't have much to give. How can I affect? And sometimes we're intimidated with that moment because we feel, what if this is a mess? What if it doesn't work? And here's this disciple with the bread and the fish. And he, he realizes, man, this is challenging. But our leader said we must do this, so here we go. And I see how he walks down to a group of 100 and decides, let's rather start with a group of 50. I see that disciple breaking the first piece. I guarantee you the first piece was a small piece. Why? He's a smart disciple. This stuff was lost. And then I see him breaking another piece. Can you imagine the first guy that got the first piece? So this is it. You guys went to all this trouble. Why, you, why did you for this? And I see him trying to explain. I'm so, I'm so sorry. It's just, you know, breaks another piece and as he's breaking the pieces there's this awareness something is happening in my hand and I see how he, he decides he's going to test this takes just a little bit of a bigger piece so, hey, hey, hey. and he takes a bigger piece and another piece Hey, hey, hey! What has just happened? 
God started to multiply what was in their hands to feed people in such a way that they could pick up 12 baskets of what was left over. Here's the principle. We start becoming part of God's greater plan by just breaking small pieces. Here's the challenge for every one of us. Maybe just you want to, you want to start to saying tomorrow, tomorrow I'm just going to start breaking small pieces. What does that mean? It means that maybe just you go to work tomorrow with a different attitude. That tomorrow you just look for a moment where you could actually bless someone. Where you can be an instrument of grace to someone. Where your life can become that which God wants you to be. This is what God is making us. I will make you. He wants to form us. as We come as we are. We, we come with all our stuff. But He makes us. This is what He does to the disciples. And they become instruments of grace to their community. My prayer for you is, is come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Discover the newness. Discover the unity in God. Discover His purpose. Through your life, you can break pray together Father we thank you we thank you that we are at the receiving end of your grace initiative and, and that we can just receive because we receive it is changing our lives it's affecting the way we think it's affecting the way we live and and now we can align ourselves to your purpose, your plan, your mission here on this planet. Thank you, Lord, that we can be part of the greatest, the greatest program the planet can know. Us sharing the love and grace and goodness of God with people inside and outside, in the church and to the other side. Pray for everyone that's hearing this word, Lord, to somehow identify with your grace initiative in our lives in a new and fresh way. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website or follow us on social media at Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you next time.